Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Tom Hayes here on uh, December 9th. I can't believe we're flying through December, through the year. Uh, it's uh, actually Sometimes me somebody <laughs> just blows your mind song that uploaded in my yeah. video that I used for another show. There we go. We found Sometimes that. Sometimes you don't know what to do. Uh, now, my guest today is uh, Dr. Laura Markham. I feel honored that she's given us the time to do it because uh, Dr. Laura is an author, educator, children and family authority on child rearing and family. She's the author of Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting. And that she writes extensively about parenting as the editor-in-chief at ahaparenting.com, the website of aha moments for parents and kids from birth through the teen years. She earned her Ph.D. in clinical psychology from Columbia and has worked as a parenting coach with countless parents both in person and via phone. Dr. Laura serves as an expert for Mothering Magazine, Pregnancy.org, and several other websites. Her free daily inspiration and weekly newsletter reaches a list of nearly 20,000 parents. Wow. And your website Actually, is www.ahaparenting.com. There, we got all the, uh, all the accolades and, and the credits out of the way. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, Tom. You know, my newsletter actually reaches 100,000 people now. I now, think I need to wow. update wherever you found that on the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's time to update. Congratulations. That must keep you pretty busy. You know, it keeps me busy, and it also brings me such joy because I get constant feedback. As you can imagine, engaging with that many people means that People are always writing to me to share their success stories with their children and what's happened when they try this kind of parenting. And so there's not a day that goes by that I don't receive a message that makes me cry and just touches me so deeply. I know the feeling. I speak to uh, my story as I lost my leg at the age of 13 to osteosarcoma. Uh, a disease which in those days there was no chemotherapy, so the survival rate, if 100 kids got the disease, uh, 95 died. So I, in listening to some of your radio shows this morning about the importance of the moment, and uh, I just listened to your introduction before your great show with Dr. Piper, and you reminded people that they're going to die. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I got that loud and clear uh, at a very early age, and my whole MO of life was with that set of consciousness that because after that, I, I ended up in the medical field and every day a doctor would remind me that I shouldn't be alive. And so I learned to cherish and live in the moment. It, uh, it was a, both a curse and a blessing to, to have that as a kid. So I just, uh, I know what you're saying about the feedback because I speak, I tell my story to fifth graders and you get these letters and you realize yeah 
that you've made, and I know you're all about connecting and we want to talk about that, when you make that kind of connection, which you're doing every day with your newsletter, and you get this feedback that your message is working and improving people's lives, you're right. There's something so magical about that that you cry. I find myself crying. I can't read these. <laughs> I, I don't even open the papers sometime until I have time to know that I have to allow myself to uh, feel that kind of emotional connection. And how wonderful that you're able to share your learning with fifth graders and anybody because that's a rare gift, what you were given, uh, you know, as you know. And as you say, a curse. I mean, losing your leg, my goodness, at the age of 13. And yet at the same time, to know that actually every day is a gift in a way that really most of us don't have a daily reminder of that. No, and I think that's, um, again, I was, you know, (laughs) I believe, and I'm sure you do, that everything happens for a reason, and the fact that we're even having the show um, shows that somehow there's, uh, I'm a big fan of Stephen Jobs, and I watched an introduction to one of his uh, documentaries, and he says his goal was to take the same life force, the same spirit that makes uh, a tree leave or that makes flowers, he says, and to instill that into a product. And, you see, and we see the result of that kind of thinking. So there's a reason, I think, that we're doing the show today and that we can, we're both passionate about sharing ideas and models and philosophies and ways of living to improve what is so needed, especially today. I am delighted to be having this conversation with you and with your audience. <laughs> so, so now, one of the things I I, I uh, like to do here is I love to hear people's stories. How obviously you you had at some point you woke up to the idea, or that you always had it, that you do want to share, that you do want to teach, that you do see a need to that your messages and your you know, what you propose is a methodology for bringing up kids can improve and make people happy. So how did that all happen? Hmm. Well, I guess I didn't start off thinking I wanted to teach. It was more that I realized when I was a child, I was, uh, my parents were in the middle of a divorce when I was quite young. And I was not really attended to. And both my parents loved me, but they were struggling with their own issues. And they really were not able to notice what I needed. And as a result, I was lonely. And I fell back on my own inner resources in a way that I'm sure... You had to do it 13, and anyone has to do when they hit a rough patch in their lives. For me, it happened quite young. I mean, I was five years old, um, and I began to go inside. And I, I noticed that there was a place that I could just sit in silence, and I felt bathed in light. And when I was there, I didn't feel lonely. I felt 
I felt sort of um, connected in the deepest possible way. And I think I took that with me and I took that, that knowledge with me as I grew up. And I somehow had the ability when I related to other people to understand who they were pretty quickly when I was put in contact with them. And I just saw so many people hurting. And in the beginning, my as I you know, got to college and I was interested in psychology, I had been reading psychology all along, I, I was most interested in children, in how to help children not have hard childhoods, how to help parents understand them better and meet their needs better. And then as I began to do the work that I'm doing, I realized, I mean, I probably started from a place, even after getting my PhD, of wanting to tell parents, hey, here's how you do it. Here's what your child needs. But as I began to do the work, suddenly I realized that the parents were just children also, that they had (laughs) come from their own childhoods and not had their needs met. And that's what they really needed. And it wasn't a matter of haranguing anybody to do anything. It was more a matter of meeting each parent with the compassion and understanding of where they were and how hard the journey is that they're on. Because every parent loves their child. They're limited by who they are and what they've been given as they came into this life. So, you know, I think I've never met a person whose needs at core were anything other than simply being unconditionally loved. And so that's what I try to do. Okay, show's over, folks. It doesn't get any more better than that. <laughs> Fabulously put. Um, I've uh, always been intrigued by life, the, how it works, what it takes to make life happy, what it takes to make life a success. And I've learned um, recently I've started, uh, I've always been drawn to writing and journaled for a long time, but I've now on a journey to complete a novel. And so I've learned a lot about storytelling in the last, and I was always pretty well gifted at telling a story, but didn't really didn't understand the dynamics of it. And I just read a book called The Writer's Journey, which is, uh, an, um, you know, a growth, an outgrowth of um, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. And I never understood that a great story always involves adversity. And so you take your story, which is right off the shot, you, you, uh, you know, you, what they call a character's arc is that you're deprived. You're deprived of the attention. You're deprived of the love. And instead of that being absolutely a tragic, that that adversity gives you a pathway to what I call the divine, to that inner peace and you get that at five years old. Most people never get that. And without that adversity, do you see it that way? That without yes. that adversity, you wouldn't have gone that way. I do see it that way. I I wonder often, Tom, whether we have to have some form of adversity because I've been uh, the kind of mother to my own two children who are now 20 and 24 where 
they were really seen and heard and loved as children. And they came out pretty great. And so I asked my daughter recently, but what about the adversity? I mean, I think I benefited from it in the end, although it also wounded me in a way that I still carry the wounds with me, as I'm sure you do. And I asked her, she's a very wise 20-year-old, and I asked her that. And she said, I think you can't protect children from adversity. They're going to get some kind of adversity. <laughs> you raised a wise and, kid. <laughs> right. She reminded me that even though she hadn't had the same kind of adversity that I had, she had watched many people die in her, in her childhood mm-hmm. who were you know, friends and loved ones of our family, and that there are different kinds of adversity that each person struggles with. So I think you're right. I think that the adversity is always part of how we discover our strengths. If you're going to be the hero or heroine, it never hit me, and I'm and I'm 68 years old, and you know we always look for that. Uh, you know, are we going to be the ones, or are we going to be the generation to take away all of the adversity and just live heaven on earth? And that's not what this is about. This is, you know, I've come to realize that this is this is a wild and crazy journey. It's an adventure, and like all adventures, if it were just simply success from the shot that success was just manifested at the snap of a finger without the work, without the obstacles. It's like a huge, crazy video game that, um, you know, you you develop a skill set with each setback. You learn how to overcome that particular, and go find your inner strength. And the fact that you found it at five is mind-blowing that you got to that light. Um, you, you, You know, and did you continue to do that throughout your life, go back and, and when in those times of adversity or difficulty, go back to that light? I did. I did, and I, I found that sometimes I just made it my priority, meditation, my priority. Right. Um, and other times it was, you know, something that I didn't make time for daily, didn't think I had time for daily, but somehow it gave me strength to know it was there. It's almost like you log on, it's there. You log off and you think it's gone, but actually it's there. It's always there if you log on. <laughs> True. It's always there. And uh, I, I found that in, the again, the, the radio shows that I sampled, that was the recurring theme was to be to be present, to be in the moment, to shut out all of the distractions. And I guess what, <laughs> my first question that I wanted to ask you is what do you think, what's going on? What's going on in America? What's going on with families? What do you think, I mean, it's thrilling to know that you've got 100,000 people you're reaching with your newsletters and getting some feedback. I mean, I think you're doing, you know, you've you've started the process on, on a level that you can. So what what's the current state? Where are we in this country with families? I think that families are struggling. I think that, you know, we're all products of our own childhoods, and we're in a time of, you know, you mentioned could we get rid of all adversity in this country and or this time. And I think our modern way of life, I mean, you and I are both in the United States, our modern way of life in this country at least, and probably in many countries, is actually very materially rich, but spiritually impoverished. And so I think that spiritually... I have the biggest grin right now. Yeah, I I couldn't (laughs) agree more. So go ahead, please. 
Well, I think the spiritual impoverishment means that we forget what matters. We forget who we truly are. I mean, who are we really? We're not just collectors of all these things, this stuff. Believe me, the the tidal wave of death is going to sweep us away and the the stuff is gone. It's not going to save us. And you can't take it with you and nobody's getting out of here alive. So who are we really, you know, and what matters really? So I think that we forget that. And we're just, you know, every parent I know is just trying to get their kids moved through the schedule, get them out of bed, get them fed the good, healthy breakfast, get them out the door to school on time, pick them up at the end of the day, get them fed again, get the homework done, get them bathed, get them into bed, and start all over again the next day. And they're just, meanwhile, trying to pay the rent and get the food on the table, the parents. Except that the child is growing. They're becoming themselves. They're Every experience they have is shaping who they're becoming, and and their brain is taking shape based on their experience. So every interaction with a parent is helping them. It's like the rings of the tree that show the conditions that the tree has grown in over time. That 100-year-old tree, you look at those tree rings, and it tells you, oh, that year it was rainy, that year it was dry. You know, And the childhood that we're giving our children could be rainy or could be parched or could be just right. And we're mostly not paying attention to that because we are under so much pressure and we forget what's important. I, <laughs> again, I'm laughing at the uh, synchronicity of, of my feelings and message. And I'll, I had no idea that we were going to hit this. I, I came across you on Twitter, and I was just fascinated by the professionalism of, and I certainly was um, intrigued by the aha parenting, and you're you're right, spot on with everything that I preach every single day, and in fact, I think uh, listening to your shows uh, made me understand, I I react to it, and and sometimes, uh, you know, a a very vocal, and uh, you know, I, I, I can't help but feeling that kids are being robbed today. And, you know, I see, you know, it's so interesting that how, as Americans, people want to defend the first, when I propose that something might be wrong, the first line of defense almost universally is, well, that's the way it is today. Two people have to work. These are the schedules. And that's it. So what they seem to be saying is forget about it. Everybody's rushed. We're accepting that we're rushed. We're accepting that this is a rat race, and we're doing the best we can. And, yeah, a lot of things are going to get overlooked. The kids aren't going to be given the attention that they uh, – but and they're not going to have family dinners, and they're not going to have quality time, but that's the way it is. And how do you react to that? I think we're sacrificing our children. And Excellent. what could matter exactly. more? Right? What could matter more? Exactly. We're all going to be dead And what goes on living is our children. And wouldn't we want to give them the best possible start in life? Oh, man. This is, uh, talk about getting uh, an emotional connection. I'm I'm actually getting chills here, getting the goosebumps, because I finally found a soulmate. (laughs) Everybody else looks at me like, you know, this iconoclastic uh, character who wants to challenge what's the uh, conventional wisdom. And, you know, you and I, because, again, we were blessed with the adversity that, that we dealt with, 
you know, we're, we're blessed by that in the sense that I didn't have to. You're right. As, you know, when they say a, a, a blind person after he has gone blind has to die as a person who had sight before he can re- be reborn as a person, a blind person. And I found huh. that I had to go through that death. Yes. That I was once, you know, um, a fully bodied, extremely gifted uh, athlete, and now I'm cut down at the age of 13. And so I had to learn to die as a kid with two legs and be born again as a person that was an amputee. And that, as with you, I learned that I was no longer like the other kids. Uh, I was still, you know, maybe mentally and emotionally been able to do certain things. But I learned that I couldn't play certain games anymore to certain things. So I, like you, I had to find out who this new kid was. I had to go inside. And instead of that being a setback, I mean, that just, you know, what a gift to 13 to realize that I'm unique and that I have something special and different to offer that goes a lot deeper than if I hadn't had that that adversity to make me stop and pay attention to exactly what you're talking about. Gee, you know, 100 kids got my disease and 95 are dead. I'm here. Now what do we do? And so I think, you know, that's, that was the answer that I was looking for. And I'm so thank you so much for, for coming forth with it. And I think with that said, that all of these prescriptions for raising beautiful, well-adjusted, happy kids, and that is the goal, structurally, we've got a big problem, don't we? <laughs> yes. We do have a problem in the way that life is organized, but right. but there. I mean, and and I would add, there are ways to address that to some degree culturally. You know, as a culture, if we valued children, we would react differently to children and the people who care for them and the people who teach them. And we are not doing that as a culture. But I would add that there are many things that parents can choose to do differently in their own lives. They can choose not to buy into consumerism in the conventional ways. They can choose not to buy into screens in the conventional ways. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to, you know, give up their screens and go off the grid and, you know, live on the land. I'm saying that there are ways to limit, even if you have screens in your life and in your child's life, there are ways to limit the impact of those screens so that your child doesn't have screens introduced to them until they're a little older. You're not handing toddlers iPads, you know. And also that you're not letting those screens intrude on daily life, family time, dinner time, that you're not, I mean, I can't tell you the number of parents that I see who have their screens out when they're with their child, and their child is saying, Mommy, Daddy, over and over again. And You know, I totally understand that there may be something very important that they're doing on their screen. But I also know, and I'm not here to accuse anybody, I'm just wondering if people who hear this can just ask themselves, when they find themselves with their child and wanting to pull out their screen, if they can just say to themselves, can I wait? 
Is that really what I want to do with my time? Is that really the message I want to give my child? Now, you know, if you have to be calling the pediatrician about the prescription, go ahead and pull out your screen. But most of the time, even though parents say, oh, but I have some things I have to do like that, the truth is most of what we're doing on the screens is not that important, and instead we're giving our children the message that they don't Uh, matter. You know, I... Boy, uh, this is great because I can just let you talk, and it's me coming through you. <laughs> but uh, it's nice to have a fellow fellow uh, believer uh, and, and someone with the insight to see these things. Again, I think curse blessing, and that it's a blessing that I can see these things, but it's also a curse because it just you know you want to just fix it, but you know that you're you're fighting a, a tidal wave. Um, you're right. We're we're a reactive society, aren't we? We don't. People aren't. Most people haven't done what you've done and seen the light. They don't know where the real beauty, where the real meaning is, where the real peace is, where all of that. And it does. You're right. It's never going to come off a screen. And it's not going to come from excessive stimulation. And it's not going to come from the next object you bring into the house. And so. People buy the whole concept of the rat race without thinking. And and here's the danger: we have now. I mean, let's let's not pull any punches. People are not happy with the millennials, <laughs> and they are not happy with their lack of attention, with their lack of with with a lot of the things that go with that. And and I just as you have pointed out. We can't be angry with the millennials because they're the product of the people that brought them up. Absolutely. And if we have a whole society of new parents who are addicted to the screens and the rat race and the running and the lack of quality time and mindfulness, what is going to happen to the next generation? Right. Well, I think we know. We know that every human's most deep need is for there are two deep needs the first is for connection yep which includes being seen and really yes accepted for who they are yes and loved and then yes. the second need once that need is filled we can all move on to the second need which is to realize our own unique gifts because every one of us has unique gifts and to share those to hone them, to develop them, and to share them with the world to make the world a better place, to feel like we've made a contribution with who we are. Those are our needs. And so what does it take for a human being to be able to do those two things? It takes starting with the connection, and yet we get more, our society is creating more disconnection, right? The millennials, what bothers some people about the millennials is that there's this feeling of disconnection, there's, yep. And it, a lot of it centers around the use of our screens and devices. Right. And so, yeah, well, we did it. You know, we created yes. this. And we yes. don't have to perpetuate it. Every, yes. And I want to I wanna actually start, um, I want to shift a little bit in our conversation because I think it would be very easy for you and I to sit here and say, oh, parents today, they don't know what they're doing. They're doing a bad job. And that's actually not where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is parents today are struggling because 
it's such a difficult position that we have put them in. We, meaning you and I, the older generations, have put young parents today that they do have to work so hard. Most of the time, both people do have jobs outside the home, and they were not necessarily cared for in a way that really allowed them to feel seen. So that connection, they were not necessarily given. And they were not necessarily given, and here I'm going to introduce a new element, they were not necessarily given tools to work with their own emotions, to handle their own emotions, to process them, to make peace with them, basically, to become emotionally intelligent, emotionally regulated. So what do we do when that's the case? Well, we have to sort of try to push our emotions away because we don't want to feel them. And what better way to do that than to pull out a screen? Yep. So what we, we have in our society, a lot of addictions, a lot of big addictions, as we know, but also a lot of little addictions. And I think it's a rare person who doesn't have some little addictions on which they fall back. And it might be that they really want that glass of wine or beer when they walk in the house at night, or it might be that they love to shop, or it might be that they have a device that they pull out whenever they feel bored or lonely or just a little anxious. They pull out their phone and they look at it. And that's a way, all of those little addictions are ways that we push our emotions away. And yep. so for I think for parents today who are struggling with great pressure, and without necessarily having been given the tools themselves in childhood to handle their own emotions well and their anxieties well, what ends up happening is they fall back on screens, for instance, as a little addiction, and they can't, it's very hard in that situation when you've got a child who is acting childish because that's what children do. It's very hard to just show up with compassion and presence because we're not even used to doing that for ourselves, right? right? So I think what I'd like to shift in our conversation might be instead of sounding like, oh, parents today are bad, which is not where I'm coming from at all, to more say parents today need as much compassion as they can get yeah, they're, from they're us right. and from, from, yes, from our society and from themselves. They yep. need to give themselves compassion because that's the only way they're going to be show, showing up with their children with compassion and presence. Beautifully put. It's true. I mean, I when if, when I've seen I live in an area of Boston where there's been immense gentrification, and with that came the millennials and came the disconnect, the absolute alienation. You know, anybody or everybody around them doesn't exist. You know, they've got their earbuds in and they run by you, mm -hmm. and they'll even hit you mm -hmm. and not even stop. And so the first reaction of it's is simple you start to get angry with is because and people say will say to me well why does it bother you i said you don't realize and you pointed out right away you said connection the first thing i said humans are here to connect humans are here to we're social animals you can't uh, take that away from what it means to be human and i said you know if you put a baby in an orphanage they die yes because nobody picks them up Yep. And, you know, when you talk about parenting, good parenting, bad parenting, a child will, will prefer bad parenting in the sense that if the, at least it's attention versus yes. zero attention. Right. And so, the, you know, we're, we're creating a society where there is more disconnection. And I started to look at these 
millennials instead of an antagonistic way i started to feel compassion for them sorry for them they're realizing it's not their fault they were they are the product of the generation before them who weren't there for them these are lonely kids i think that you're absolutely right i do want to add that the research on the millennials is very complicated it's mixed it shows that actually they have a very sophisticated understanding of life. So they are, um, when I say sophisticated, I mean um, they question authority. They question the attitude, the conventional attitudes of the way things should be done. And I think those are good things. I think they're more likely to think for themselves, for instance. On the other hand, it's true that we've essentially told them you have to look out for number one. We've, we've raised them in a world in which they felt unsupported. So how else could they exist? How could they respond to that except to look out for number one? Right. Right. Exactly. And so it is, I mean, that's why I think, you know, shifting the conversation that there's a few of us out there and that are being heard that you're obviously your your success rate with your your newsletter and getting the feedback people are and i find i mean i'm a right now uh, part of my business is kind of slow so i get out in a uber once in a while to to uh well <laughs> to connect with people but also to make a little money and so and again because i live in a, a town where it's just loaded with millennials I get to talk to them. They will not connect with you on the street, and they admit it. It's a very cold, um, nobody interacting socially. It's kind of taboo. But they will speak in a car. It's a very interesting. And they will voice what you're saying. And I also I give them a little card that uh, I found. I'm a big Steve Jobs fan. And uh, his, I give him a little card with this quote, My time is limited. I am not wasting time living someone else's life. I will not be trapped by living someone else's life. That is the result of other people's thinking. I will not allow the noise of other people's opinions to drown out my own inner voice. I have the courage to follow my heart and intuition. They somehow know what I truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. And almost... Universally, these millennials will ask me, "Well, how do you do that? How do you mm-hmm. follow your heart intuition?" And they'll say, "Unlike what you learned at five, they're clueless." I said, "I don't even know how to do that." And, yes, and what do you tell them? How do you answer that? Well, I, I, I said basically what you said earlier in the show: get quiet. Yes. Put the phone down. Put the 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 computers down just get still and listen yeah yeah and, and, and it's shocking to me that they don't that that is like that is alien i might just be speaking japanese to them but they at least i've caught their attention with a minute and hopefully you know i, I tell them when i give them this card i said i hope that you get to live a life like that where you follow your heart and t- intuition in your own inner voice and you do, you find a pathway that you love and that you're passionate about. What, what else, what a greater gift can you give to your kids? 
Yeah, and it goes back to the two basic needs, right? Yep. The first connection is connection, and, and the second is yeah, connection and love. But then the second is self-actualization, which is what yes. Steve Jobs was saying. Once yes. you've had that validation, that early validation, or that validation anytime it comes, then you're you have the courage to actually say, yes, I'm worth something inside me. I can listen to that quiet voice inside, and I can act on that, and I can contribute. I can make a difference in the world from that. So what do you, you're, you're making progress. You're seeing results. What do you think it is? What, how are you getting the, the parents to listen? So I think that you only reach people by, and get them to listen to you by listening to them. And I, so what yeah. I do is I give parents that connection. I give parents that validation and that recognition. It's heroic work being a parent. It really is. You're constantly having to put someone else's well-being first. Yep. And I validate how hard that is to do. And I encourage them to put themselves back on the list and have compassion for themselves and meet their own needs too because you can't deplete yourself and then have anything left for your kids. Right. And... I also give them tools to understand their own emotions so they can regulate them better and to understand their children's emotions so their children can actually learn to regulate a little better. And once children can make friends with their emotions, they can regulate them. And once they can regulate their emotions, they can regulate their behavior. So I think parents are often shamed and blamed and told they're doing it wrong and told they should be controlling their children. You can't control another human being. The only thing you can do, the only thing you can do is make enough of a connection with a human being that you have some influence with them. And that's what parents need to do with their children so the child wants to accept the parent's guidance. You know, if you want teenagers who are going to come to you for advice, which is hard to get, believe me, the only way you're going to get that is by connecting with them at a very deep level so they feel safe, so they feel seen and heard, and so they respect you. And they see that you are not just trying to control them, but that you see who they are and you you want what's best for them, no matter what. And and then they'll come to you and they'll, they're open to your influence. So I think parents, when they hear that, it's like permission to stop doing all those other things, like make sure they make homemade cupcakes for the class party so they can be a good parent. Like, excuse me, that's not what being a good parent is. In fact, that will stress you out, and you'll end up yelling at your child, and your child's birthday will not feel good to them as they started off as you're yelling at them because they've just put too much salt in the frosting. You know, that's not what being a good parent is. The media gives us such pressure. And so I just want to give parents permission to to ditch all those images of what it is to be a good parent and to be a little more quiet and a little more still and a little more connecting and a little more compassionate. Things won't be perfect. Things are going to go wrong. There will be too much salt in the frosting sometimes. And whatever, you can just let it go. Someday you'll laugh about it. Right now, if you need to cry, cry. And let it go and love yourself through it and love your child through it because your child is, you know, it's like your child is a plant who you've been entrusted with the seed and you're growing it. So many of us, you know, we, we put the seed in this pot on the windowsill and then we look at it, you know, we water it and it gets some sun and we look at it and we go, 
something. Wait, you're growing too slowly, or you don't uh. look right, or you're looking a little bit peaked. Why aren't you not growing better? It's like, well, maybe we should think about the conditions in which the plant is growing as opposed to yelling at the plant, right? <laughs> you know, I um, I got a little anxious listening to the, you know, Dr. Piper. Not that uh, it, I, uh, it it was hard to understand the techniques and, you know, it made me think back mm-hmm. to raising my kids and, and you've just answered it for me. I think uh, what, what led me to become an entertainer was I first started to do magic and I became a pretty good um, magician. And I remember going to uh, a lecture by a phenomenal magician named Al Goshman and he would do virtual miracles in front of your face, and you would be sitting, standing right beside him. So he didn't have the the power of the distance from the thing. Anyway, he taught us all these tricks, but he said something at the end that I've never forgotten. He says, okay, I've taught you a lot of tricks. He says, but you have to understand that you are the magic. It is not <laughs> the trick. It is you are the magic. And what you've just said, instead of, teaching techniques i think what i'm feeling from what you've just said if people just make it a priority to connect so much of this will automatically happen won't it it really will because you understand things then from your child's point of view you know i talk about setting limits kids need limits they need guidance they're not born knowing red from blue and right from wrong we do have to teach them and guide them but they're more willing to accept our guidance, our influence, if they feel connected. So as we set the limit, we need to empathize with them. I know it's so hard to stop playing and clean up your toys and get ready for bed. I bet when you grow up, you'll play all night every night, won't you? And, you know, that, then the kids, they feel understood. They're more willing to, even though they don't want to, they'll clean up the toys with you and they'll get ready for bed. And so... What I'm saying is that if you actually see it from your child's point of view, if you're actually connected to them, you don't have to worry about what to say. Parents say, but how will I know what to say in that situation to empathize? It doesn't matter. They say, but how do I even know what my child is feeling? They're upset. They're crying. I don't know what they're feeling. Are they, are they mad? Are they sad? Are they disappointed? Are they you know, frustrated? It doesn't matter. Just feel it from their point of view, and you will connect in a way that makes them feel connected with and that's what matters. So it's not about strategy. It's not about technique. It's not right. even about tools. No amount of tools can make you a fantastic right. parent. The only thing that can make you a fantastic parent is love. And it isn't love like the media shows you with the perfectly coiffed mom making the perfect cupcakes. It's love like everything's a mess and I'm going to love you anyway. We can still love each other through this, no matter what. And we will make it through because love is what matters. It's the only thing that matters. And I get that you're having a tantrum right now because you're a kid and that's what kids do. It's okay to have those big feelings. Whenever you're ready, I'm right here for a hug. And we will make it through. We will sort this out no matter what. One of your guests talked about the fact that, uh, you know, she had been obsessed with just all the things you're talking about, all the multitasking and blah, 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 get this done, get that done, you know, do this. And, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and then she took her daughter to a game, and the daughter just sat on her lap for about 10 minutes, and the daughter looked at it and said, this almost chokes me up to say it. Um, this is all the mommy I ever wanted. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's all the mommy 
any child ever wants. And it's all the daddy any child ever wants, too. Your 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 presence. And that's yeah. what we... We don't show up with presence in our lives because we nope. never learned how to do it. And nope. we're a little scared, to because here's what happens when you show up with presence. All of those emotions you've been fending off that were uncomfortable, they come bubbling up to get healed. And so when you show up with presence, if you're not used to doing it, it's very uncomfortable initially. So it's like meditation. If you've ever tried to meditate, uh, the first time you do it, you sit down, it's so hard. How could it be so hard to sit still for five minutes and just be still and and let the Mm. thoughts go? It's impossible, actually. And so I think that's what happens when people don't know that then they they try to be present and they feel overwhelmed by those emotions and you know I do talks for parents very frequently and in every talk I've ever given somebody begins sobbing and it's just because the minute they get present and they really feel this stuff all of those feelings come crashing in but you know that's not the end of the world let the feelings come cry wipe your eyes blow your nose go on with life that's how we build resilience and exactly. you can love yourself through that, too. And if you exactly. can do that, you'll get to a place of far greater lightness because you're, you're, every time you feel an emotion, it evaporates. The emotion gave you the message. It gave you the signal. You heard it. You let it go. It goes away. And you're lighter. It's like unpacking your bags, leaving your baggage behind. You don't need it anymore. Just do that. And then when you show up with presence, you're not overwhelmed. In fact, what you feel is, it's pure lightness, and you're there with your child in a whole new kind of moment. Beautifully put. And so your presence is your present. <laughs> yes. Oh, my, yes. Exactly. <laughs> my gift to you is my presence. Um, wow, beautifully. I just i am so happy. I, you know, I, you know, don't you feel that, the blessed that when you do self-actualize, when you do what, you love what you came here to do. And I really feel there is a destiny. I really feel there is a mission. I feel there's a grand plan. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be here 55 years after a terminal disease. I tell people osteosarcoma is not just a cancer. It's a terminal right. disease. Right. And so I feel all of those things. And that's the joy that comes, isn't it? That, And I see it every day manifesting you know that I got the idea. My my intuition told me do a radio show. My int- intuition told me to reach out. My intuition told me to preach my message. You know what I see. My perception of where society could improve and where we can try to have. Because it's people say to me, "Why are you so obsessed about this?" Like I care about the kids. Yes. It's tragic no. what we're doing to our kids. You know, Tom, I have a dream that I've had a few times, um, and it's so it's so funny. I it's um, I've never shared this publicly, but I've had this dream a few times, and of course, my family knows it. Um, the dream is that I'm in a beautiful landscape, you know, with rolling hills and grass and trees, like pasture land or something. And I'm walking around with plastic bags. Like when you walk your dog, you have plastic bags with you. And I'm picking up poop. And I'm just bagging the poop. And somebody says, why are you doing this? Because I'm just going from one pile of poop to the next, picking them up. 
And I looked at the person in my dream and said, so the children don't have to step in it. And I, I woke up from the dream the first time, and I told my husband this dream, and he was just laughing. He said, well, that's why you do your work, isn't it? Well, I it couldn't be any more to talk about a metaphor. It's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's exactly how I feel. It's like I want, when I go into, again, you know, everybody looks at me and yells at me, just leave it alone. Just can't, why can't you accept that that's the way society is? And I said, you know, you know, you may be right, but this is, this is why they gave Socrates hemlock. You know, this is why they nailed a guy to a cross because they were big mouths. And they were saying to the world, this isn't right, you know. And, yeah, maybe that's the price you pay, but I don't have a choice. I can't let it rest. I have to say, folks, let's all wake up. Let's realize maybe we can stop the next generation from being like the generations we've created. And you know, and and turn this thing around and, and see happiness return. See love return. You're right. That sort of stuff doesn't matter. You know, the the, the what, the latest what latest gadget can go you know, I mean, when I see Americans so they get in the car early in the morning, they come home late at night, they're going to a place they really don't want to be to make a whole bunch of money or whatever money it is and they come back and on the weekends they run out to the mall to spend the money that they made during the week. And so the rat race, the, the, the gerbil wheel, just, they just keep running and running and running and running and running, and kids get kept swept up in it. They, they get dropped off at school or wherever, or daycare, and they don't get picked up till 6, 7 at night. They get fed, boom. They don't have a dinner. They get fed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as the family dinner. And, and so why, I look and I go, why are you having them? If this is what you're going to, first of all, do to yourself, and second of all, what you're going to do to them. You know, so it's tragic. I think, I think that we have to recognize again, Tom, that the parents who are having kids, who are doing what you're describing, are also unsupported in the culture. Yes, and exactly. they, they long, they long, they yearn for more meaning in their lives. And yep. I, I would say that there's hope because... You know, I talk to parents every day, and I hear from parents that they're trying very hard to do something different. And, you know, there's a continuum. Some parents maybe are not, but I think many parents know there's something wrong with this picture. They know they dropped their kid at daycare and the child is unhappy, or they know that they don't have enough time for their families. And they know that the weekend, you know, is too short and they can barely keep their heads above water and they they just desperately want things to be different. So I do see parents working so hard to make something different in their life with their children. And I see it makes a difference. I see that those parents who are able to be brave, who are able to say, okay, I'm going to listen, as you said, to my intuition I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to be courageous mm-hmm. here. Um, mm-hmm. The parents who are able to do that are able. And this is a perfect time. I don't know when people will be hearing this, if it's replayed, but at this moment, you or I are in December. And we're, that's where it is. It's December, which in the United States, you know, it's full-on 
Christmas and shopping and all that. And so what I write about in my newsletter these days is you don't have to fall for that. This is about connection and about, you know, none of our holidays. Hanukkah, which we're in the middle of, Christmas, you know, Kwanzaa, these are not holidays about consumption. These are holidays about love and about miracles and about spiritual union and connection. This is, you know, and you can give that to your children. You can talk about those things at the dinner table. You know, you can, sure, you can give people gifts, but you can take a whole different approach where, you know, the gift is given from your heart and it's a small thing that you make with your child, you know, and that you give with no thought of reciprocity. And that's a whole different approach. And I know so many parents who that resonates for them and that's what they're trying for this December. And so I think our job, you and I, is to support people who are trying to make different choices and to not judge them, but to just understand, yes, we're all under such pressure. We can choose differently. And you and I, you know, we had early traumas that led us in a certain direction. Many people are just it's the, their children who are awakening them to the, the fault lines in our culture because maybe they didn't question things before that, but now that they have children, you know, a three-year-old just doesn't understand why your business meeting is more important than right. being with him at that moment, you know. So I think if we can encourage parents to have the courage of their convictions nice. and we can understand them and, and, you know, support them, I think it goes a long way. Absolutely. Bravo. And, you know, you're doing fantastic work. I think, you know, uh, kudos to you to build, you know, that kind of a newsletter following. And, you know, that 100,000, I mean, I just read 20,000, and that was obviously posted not that long ago. And so you're having an effect. And, you know, we, you know, if you know anything about the tipping point, you get enough um, people who value what you're saying, you know, and it gets sticky they'll you 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 are out there making changes you're putting the ripples out there and they're going to turn into waves and you're right i i had to learn this myself i had to stop my anger and reaction to this alienation this uh, self-righteousness this uh you know self-importance that the millennials carry and i realized they're not happy in fact i've i've confronted them about it and I say, you, the, the independence, what a lot of women were fed was independence, 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 independence. It's almost like a battle cry. And I say, well, what happened to interdependence? And they don't even know what the term means. You know, I have to say, well, how, what about two independent people getting together for the sake of interdependence? You know, sharing their independence with each other to get a greater good, like a family and kids and everything else. And so I see these alienated, you know, women in their 20s and 30s alone and struggling. They're doing it all alone, and they're running to their job that they hate. They're spending the rest of the time trying to find some kind of companionship, and it's not clicking because it's just not working. And, And I'll say, are you happy? And they'll say, no. (laughs) I said, well, how is all of this independence, this alienation, this separation, how is it all working out for you? And they have no answer. They're just bewildered. Well, and again, 
let's not blame the victim here. You know, exactly. this, this independence is something that is a refrain of our culture. You know, when yes. you show, you know, we, we put babies in a crib and we, we just shut the door and expect them to cry themselves to sleep. And oh. when you show that, that, uh, that footage to a group of women in Africa or India, they're aghast that we could do such a thing to a baby. Exactly. And, but our culture has this focus yep. on independence. We wouldn't want, I, I remember, um, once uh, someone I know uh, referred to my son as a mama's boy. And he was three years old at the time. Three years old. Now, my son went to Spain by himself at the age of 16. You know, like, it's, he's, you know, he's, he's, he was riding the New York subways by himself when he was in seventh grade. You know, he's hardly... Um, ever, I mean, as he grew, um, then there's not been nothing dependent about him. Um, but, but he's very related. He's very caring. He's very considerate. But what's interesting to me is that the age of three, a boy who was very related to his mother and dependent on oh. her, which is appropriate for a three-year-old, would oh, be described by somebody as a mama's boy. And I think when men hear the word mama's boy, they often cringe because that was something you didn't ever want to be and they never would want their son to be. And so I think we have done that to our men. So when yep. you just said the women were raised on this, it's not just the women who've been raised on independence, right. it's the men. And so how can people have a relationship with each other when, right. as you say, they've never been taught that there's a way to be independent that honors both people, the integrity of both people. Neither person has to give up who they are. We can love yep. each other for who we are. And we can be completely connected and interrelated, but, yep. but not, but not um, lose our integrity about who we are. We can exactly. express our needs to each other without attacking each other. Exactly. Right? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? You know, I wrote a book on siblings uh, that came out earlier this year. It's my second book. And when people say to me, well, what's it about in a nutshell? I say it's about teaching your children that they can express their needs to another person, in this case their sibling, without attacking them. And isn't that the lesson we all need to learn? in life exactly. in order to have good relationships. So I think that the that when we think about young people today, we've handicapped them with this idea of independence and we have raised them in a way that forced independence on them at too early an age. And we are now reaping what we've sown as a society again in disconnection. But there is a way back from that. And the way back from that is to listen to our own inner yearning. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast to just notice as you go through your day, as you think about the people you love, the person you're a partner with maybe, your children, um, to notice your inner yearning for connection. And that that matters. And honor that. You know, in my sibling book, in the introduction, I have um, a quote from a mom who said to me, we need permission from you because even the great moms I know they think they have to be productive all the time. And yes. the idea that they could just sit down yes. on the floor with their children and keep their children 
from hitting each other by teaching their children the skills to communicate, they feel like that's a waste of their time, and yet it's the most important thing they could do all day. And so I think that's the permission I want to give to anyone listening to this is listen to that yearning of your heart, and that is the most important thing you'll do all day is to connect with your, your husband, your wife, your partner, your child, and to teach your children these human skills of connection. I could cry. <laughs> that is so beautifully put. I mean, how could I ask for a better show? Uh, and it's fun. we're coming down to the hour. I mean, we could continue, but I don't know. When you hit, when you hit them, <laughs> you got them rolling in the aisles. <laughs> it's a good time <laughs> to take off, and maybe we'll do this again. I mean, that that's you just said it. That's it. Listen, understand. No matter how you've been taught, how you've been programmed, how you've been ignored, how you've been alienated yourself. Understand, if you get quiet, you're going to hear that voice crawling out inside. I want to connect. I'm yearning for love and affection. I'm learning for connect, yearning for connections. And you're right. If you understand that part of yourself, you'll understand that, that everybody has that. And what is a greater gift than to share who you are you know, the times when I'm the happiest is when, you know, I'm making people laugh or I'm making some kind of emotional mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as I said, I spoke to a fifth grade class a couple of weeks ago, and I tell them that when the doctor told me I lost my leg, I started to negotiate with them. And of course. And the kids don't understand. I said, well, and I make them think. I said, what would you say if the doctor, a lot of them say, well, is it going to hurt? I said, no, I kind of had faith in the anesthesiologist that I wouldn't experience the pain of the amputation. But I said, I wanted to live. So I said to him, well, how long could I live if you don't? And I said, I picked an age. What would that age be? And it's funny, the age I picked as a 13-year-old, these kids pick now today, the other day they didn't. They said 50, but I think 50 is the new 40 for sure. But the age was 40. I said, exactly. Why did you pick 40? They go, because, <laughs> they said, they universally say, because they're old at 40. <laughs> they're old. Exactly. I said, yeah, but what makes you say they're old? And I said, and I have to prompt them a little. I said, are they happy? And they go, nope. I said, why aren't they happy? And then I tease them a little bit. I said, they're, they're not happy because they have you. And they laugh. And I said, no, they're, why aren't they happy? I says, they go, they got to work. I go, right. And what else? Why do they have to work? Because they got bills. I said, right. And so we go down. And when I say 30-year-olds, I was hesitant when I asked the doctor, could I live till 30? Because I knew the 30-year-olds were still having some fun. And then I went 20 and I asked for two. And he said, okay, he couldn't even guarantee me two years. So I said, he made me think I had a choice, and I accepted losing my leg. But I learned something, and it's true. By Most people, especially in our society, are not happy. They're stressed beyond belief. They accept all the stress. They see it as the only way. And But what struck me about the last class is a kid yelled out. He says, yeah, and when, and when they're in their 40s, they ignore us. Wow. They ignore us. Wow. And, of course, you know, I try to explain to the people that tell me, why don't you just accept that things are the way they are today? Why don't you just let it go? I said, because this is why. 
because I'm concerned about that kid who at the age of 12 is telling, verbally expressing, he's ignored. We can't have a society that ignores the kids. You know, I, I travel, when I travel there the world, and I remember Russia especially, I never saw a society adulate and just love kids. You, everywhere you went, there was a kid. And that kid, a lot of times, might be walking down the street with one or two parents, but the kid had his hand in the parent's hand. There was no separation. And that kid would skip and dance and talk and chatter and just, just la, 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 like a little monkey. And the parent would just look down and smile and nod. And I saw the babushkas, the grandmothers, picking them up from daycare, just waiting and embracing and hugging. And, 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 and at first, I thought, wow, this, you know, these, a lot of basically what was happening is what you're talking about, this aha parenting. These kids had the run of everything. And as an American, you know, with our emphasis on punishment and correction and discipline, you, it's kind of far, and you have to get used to it. But these kids are, uh, you know, they're just loved. They're embraced, and they're allowed to be kids. In fact, even as crazy as their culture is, can be to us, they don't start the kid in school till they're seven because they know yeah. their brains aren't ready. Yes, right, right, it's true. And, you know, and they're not forcing it, and, and, and I ended up marrying a Russian, and I brought the kids here, put them in a beautiful school with only 12 kids in a class, and the principal knew every kid's name, and, and it was a great school. And I asked them, it couldn't have been more supporting or loving for an American school, and I said, how do you like the school? They said, no. They said, we sit all day. Do you understand? Mm-hmm, in Russia, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. take a science class and then we go to recess, or we take a science, uh, a math class and then we go to gym, or we take, um, you know, Russian and then we go take an art class. Mm-hmm. So all day is mm-hmm. fun. It's moving, and and so you see how other kids, the peace. When I visit Italy or South America, you just see a peace over these kids, a peacefulness that our poor kids. Don't they're frenetic? Apple kids are frenetic. Yes. Yep. And then we give them screens so they yes. can distract themselves from their unhappiness. Yes. yes. Yeah. And well, I've just talk about a connection. I'm so happy to have met you and to have had this show. Um it moved me. Um you know, I learned as an entertainer, I, I saw the movie Ratatouille and I Felt something when I watched that movie. It reminded me of the old Walt Disney movies with Snow White. How the the attention to detail and the fine artists that made those beautiful animations in the story. And I was getting that feeling. So um, because I I have a children's property and produce toys, and now I'm producing novels and and um, audio books for them. I wanted to see the extras on how they actually created that feeling. And they interviewed both the restaurateur and they interviewed the uh, animator. And they said, what are you trying to accomplish? And the restaurateur said, I'm trying to make an emotional connection with my patrons to give them a feeling that only I can give them. And the animator 
answered the question. They weren't even together. They were in different places at different times. The animator said, I'm trying to make an emotional connection with the viewer, <laughs> give them a feeling that only I can give them. Wow. And that's all it's all about, isn't it? Is making yeah. emotional connections with yep. people to give them a feeling that only we can do. That's right. That's right. And, and for your child to be that person eventually who can do that. Yes. They need to make the emotional connection with you and feel validated and fully loved and accepted and adored for who they are. Not who you wish they were, not the kid you wish you'd exactly. been given, not the kid who would make your life easier or yep. show off better, the, yep. you know, the, who they are. The kid who you got, who you were blessed to be given the sacred job of raising, that's the kid you got. That's the kid who needs your love and acceptance, unconditional love. And that's how they are able to then be that person who can make that emotional connection with others to make their contribution, to make the world a better place. That's right. You're, you're spreading, like you said, the seed. I, When I got divorced and my daughter was living with me and uh, <laughs> she, uh, she was, without my knowledge, she was throwing these great white Russian parties in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then she decided to quit school, college, which I was totally paying for. And it was, she was in drama. Of all the things she wanted to be in life was an actress, writer. And she's taking on And she tells me, I'm quitting. And, um, and she, by the way, she taught me the greatest lesson ever. It woke me up. We, I took her to counseling to talk her to go back to college. And we, myself, with a master's degree and 20 years more life experience than her, and the PhD from Harvard with her psychology degree, we, we hammered this kid on all the reasons to stay in school. And she just sat there and looked back and forth at us and didn't say a word for 45 minutes. And at the end, we talked ourselves out and we said, well, and she looked at us both and she said, 18, you know, 17, 18 years old, and said, uh, well, I heard you. And she said, I can't argue one thing you said. Everything you said is true. You know, I'm going to get make more money. I'm going to probably have better relationships, right? If I don't do it now, I may never go back. You're absolutely right. And I looked and I said, great. So you're going back, right? She goes, no. And when I looked and I said, why? And she looked at the both of us. And this was a major turning point in my life. She looked at us in the sweetest, most feeling, deep way, said, it's just not in my heart. <laughs> and two analytically left-brain-oriented people who gave her every logical argument, we were powerless. We didn't. We we didn't even know what to say. We looked at her, and I it hit me that just as you said before, you can't control. I'm not going to control this. I'm not going to make her go to school. I'm not going to make her be what I want. She's telling me at 18, she wants to follow her heart. You know, and I, because I was afraid she may turn out to be like her mother who had addiction problems, I said to her, well, I said, I said, I have one choice now. I said, I can't send you to the school I want you to. I said, so I, I have certain fears. I don't want you to be, think that you're going to live here and be, you know, have this kind of cushy, knowing that you've got a place. I, I says, I have to send you to the school of hard knocks. I have to get you, teach you pain as hard and as fast as I can 
for you to make a decision. Either you go back or you move on and you figure your life out. You do what you follow your heart. And though it was a difficult time for her, I was, and it killed me. It broke my heart to do it. But she tells me every, she thanks me every single day for that. That that was what, understanding that she was, if she was going to make those kind of decisions, that she had to actualize herself. And two years later, she came to my door and said, uh, give me a ride to South Station. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to Boulder. She was 20 years old. I said, Colorado? She goes, yeah. I said, who are you going with? Me. I said, where are you going to stay? And it was before the Internet. She says, oh, I sent out for a paper. I've got an apartment with three kids. I said, do you know them? She goes, no. She said, but all right. I said, do you have a job? She said, no, I'll get a job in a week. And I said, how much money have you got? She had a bicycle and a backpack. She said, $200. So I reached in my pocket. I gave her whatever I had. It was another couple hundred dollars or something. I walked, stood on the platform. She got on the train. It took off, and I cried like a baby. <laughs> and uh, and I've never I've produced through that whole interaction. And one of the turning points for us came when she was absolutely defiant through throwing these parties and doing what she wanted, not going to school. And I said to the counselor, I said, you know, she's reminding me a lot of my ex. And she says, oh, that always happens. So I took her to dinner, and I said to her, I said, I'm on to you. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I know what you're trying to do. I says, you're trying to get me to hate you. You're trying, I says, you've been so used to a lot of dysfunctionality. I said that you're trying to trigger me to give you the reactions that you got, not from me, but otherwise. And I says, it's impossible. I said, because you can do anything you want to me, but you will never destroy the love I have for you. So I said, you're wasting your time. I says, now, do I like you? No. I really don't like you right now because of the way you're treating me. But forget it about the love part. And that was the turning point in our relationship. She heard it, that she could not destroy that love, that I'd always be there for her, in spite of her actions. And we've had the most beautiful relationship ever since. And that is the perfect place to end this, because once again we've circled back to unconditional love. That Absolutely. unconditional love is always what will turn things around with another yep. human being. Yep. So, how perfect. Laura, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. And, um, oh, this is fabulous. And I hope we can do this again sometime. I will look forward to it. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care. Have a great holiday season. You too, Tom. No, so All fabulous right. to meet you. Take care. You Bye-bye. too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, there it is. There it is. Thank you. It was such a great, 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 great show and one that I'm going to treasure. And it's going to be a great podcast for people to come in and learn something that may be life-changing, not only for themselves, but for their kids especially. All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. You uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. I'm going to go out with
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.